people need to know your stupidity. Yes, that's that's half the enjoyment of this show. Welcome to the perfect album side. One idea, six songs, infinite possibilities. This is the Perfect Album Side Podcast. My name is Steve. That guy is Wyndham. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Welcome to the podcast, Wyndham. I love being welcomed to this podcast. I love being a part of this podcast. That's such a nice thing for me to say. But it is great to be on this podcast at this moment with today's topic. The excitement that goes with it, as always... Let's go. Let's go, the man says. Uh, Before we get started on today's topic, last time we talked about uh, American patriotism. A lot of fun that one was. But today, we will move forward to 1982. We will move forward. Or or back. 41 years ago. (laughs) We will move forward 41 years ago to 1982. This is the third installment of the Perfect Album Side, uh, you know, name a year and do the Perfect Album Side of that. We've previously done 1981 and 1994. We literally uh, drew uh, a number out of a hat for this one, and it's 1982. So we're doing 81 and 82, like back to back. And I'll be honest with you, Wyndham, when we first drew 1982, I was sorely disappointed. Like, I was like, oh, 1982 sucks. I don't want to do Why? that. I, I was wrong. 1982 is awesome. But my 1982 first, is awesome. I didn't know that until I really started digging in. And I was like, whoa, okay, I was wrong. There's a lot of exciting things that happened in 1982. Yeah. Uh, and Musically. We, we, well, and musically, and then maybe, you know, some newsworthy activities and some births and deaths, some stuff we talked about uh, with our other two-year episodes. I... Also, along with that same vein, though, I found out a lot about some music that I didn't know was from 1982. Like, I, I there's some songs on my perfect album side, which I can't wait to get into, that I didn't know were 1982. I thought they we, they were a bit l- later in the decade, and I was wrong. You in a good way. Were wrong. You've often said the dates are not your thing. <sighs> You're not a years guy. Like I remember <laughs> years. I remember like what I was doing when songs came out, even back when I was seven years old. Uh, maybe, maybe a few special occasions where I can remember that, but for the most part, I need, a, I need some other like landmarks or timestamps around that time to figure out what I was doing. Well, let me give you I'm some such of those timestamps. 1982, uh, the breakup of the AT&T monopoly occurs in Ooh. 1982. Uh, the first episode of late night with David Letterman debuts Ooh. on NBC in 1982 which I thought was the best era of David Letterman oh, so those good. early years so good uh ET comes out in theaters in 1982 the extraterrestrial uh Disney opened Epcot in 1982 the uh the Tylenol scare of Chicago where they had laced it with cyanide and killed, I killed several that. people I do too I remember looking at the, the 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 little code on bottles of Tylenol to make sure that we didn't have it. Um, and then last but not least, the the Vietnam Veterans Memorial was opened in Washington, D.C. in 1982. It's kind of a weird thing to think about. To me, it's just always been there, that wall. But it hasn't. Yeah. It was opened in 1982. So fascinating stuff. 
That is fascinating. Uh, Isn't couple it? Of folks, couple of folks that were born in 1982. There were literally millions of people born in 1982. Uh, there were literally millions. I'd say billions. Oh, but no. you're going to mention some individuals. I see. Some 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 names that we may remember uh, that are in line with our deluxe podcast today. Nicki Minaj. Nicki uh, Minaj. Born in 1982. Lil Wayne. Born in yes. 1982. Kelly Clarkson. Born 1982. Texas's own. Texas's own. Uh, Kelly Clarkson. Uh, Kate Middleton and her husband, the Prince of Wales, William. Born in 1982. 1982. Uh, actress Anne Hathaway. Born in 1982. Seth Rogen. Dwayne Wade. Uh, 1982. Uh, Adam Lambert, who you may be familiar with as the front man for the new queen, queen. Yes. was born yeah. in 1982. Um, and John Mulaney, who I've seen in concert. I know you have an affinity for John Mulaney. He's very, very funny. funny. Very funny, man. Born in 1982. Uh, I can't believe I think, we're older than all of those people. That upsets me greatly. Yes. And uh, you're significantly older than most of those people. Oh, I totally am. Um, Goodness gracious. Annie was released in theaters. I know you covered some movies. Tootsie. Remember Tootsie? How could I forget? Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Fast Times at Ridgemont High was a 1982 movie. Spicoli. Wow. Yeah, totally. Incredible. That movie is legendary. Everybody knows it. Um, so did, yeah, you know, did you know that, that Jimmy Buffett was on uh, the Fast Times at Ridgemont High soundtrack? He wrote the song called Spicoli's Theme. Jimmy uh, I did not know that. Is well, that now you so, do. That theme, is that around when he's like being interviewed? Uh, I don't remember where it is in the movie. I, I don't remember it that well. I just know that if you look at the Fast Times at Richmond High or you listen to the soundtrack, uh, the song Spicoli's theme is, is, is done by Jimmy Buffett. You're welcome. Well, when I think of Spicoli in that movie, I think of um, a couple of songs. Um, I think of when he sings at the the actual dance. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what what he sings the Eagle song... Um, uh, I thought he sang Wooly Bully. Well, I, that's the other one that I think of. Okay. Um, I think of Wooly Bully. Um, and, and that's what I always will think of when I think of Spicoli is that song. And he takes the van shoe and starts beating his head with it. Yeah. Yeah. The vans, the vans. Yeah. I remember that. So you got all those great people being born in 1982. Uh, E.T., Spicoli, Tootsie. A lot of, of cool stuff is happening in 1982. Yearly inflation rate in 1982, 6.1. The interest rates, I mean, that's a relevant topic to write. Now, the interest rates at this time in 1982, 11.5. So we think we've got a bad now with 6%, 11.5. Anyway. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. A brand new GMC 1500 pickup truck, $5,400. Brand new. I wish that was the case today. And to fill up that tank, 91 cents a gallon. I wish that was the case today. Yes. Let's get to the perfect album side of 1982. Like the other years that we have done, we have set up structure around how it's not just the best songs of 1982. We're talking about the best debut of an artist in 1982, the best song from a movie soundtrack, the most iconic video music video from 1982, uh, the most iconic song to feature a female singer from 1982, the best one hit wonder from 82, and then last but not least, a wild card. Anything goes, pick any song you want 
released in 1982. And speaking of released in 1982, I want to be clear on the rules that we set forth. We said this, the single had to have been released in 1982. doesn't matter when the album came out, and it had to be in the United States. So if it was released in 1974 in Wales, and 1982 in the United States, we're using U.S. singles release date for this perfect album side. Wyndham, what else you got? I uh, What I got is a whole lot of excitement about this. And I, I know we often say no rules, um, but in this case, we needed to make sure we weren't running into any gray area. So I appreciate you walking through that. I had some questions about it and I always kind of get nervous when we do years that I am going to completely whiff yeah. on category and, <laughs> and on the year. And I'm going to say, well, this song came out in 1982 and you're like, actually it wasn't released until 84, but, uh, I think I'm good to go, man. I'm, I'm kind of. I'm kind of ready to go. Can we All get right. this going? Let's, let's get it on. Uh, last thing before we get started, uh, we lost Robbie Robertson this week. Oh, uh, for those take a load off, have, Robbie. Yeah, take a load off, Annie. Take a load for free. Uh, that 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 one that one that one sucks. Uh, we're losing members of the band. It we hurts. are losing. Uh, you know, uh, it's that's a tough one. Um, and he had a you know he had a little bit of a singles career, a solo career, singles career, solo career in the '80s. Um, but always will be part of the band. Um, so I hate to hear that news. So sad. The first topic of the 1982 perfect album side. What artist, about Sinead? Sinead O'Connor. May she rest yes, in sorry. peace. God, that's all right. That's all right. It's two weeks uh, ago. I know. Yeah. For those of you that are I, listening to this months in the future, this was a tough week for us. Robbie Robertson, Sinead O'Connor. It's, it's rough. Although that was yeah. two weeks ago, but anyway, but you know what? We're going to focus on positive things and celebrate those memories by honoring their great music. Stone cold. Will you be interrupting me again as I start the perfect <laughs> album side or are we going to, are we going to stop now? <laughs> Just let me know. Could you please, could you please tap your nose or something? If you're about to interrupt me again, that'd be, could you be a dove and like rub the top of your head? If you're going to interrupt me again, I'm sorry. 1982 debut artist. Uh, as is tradition, I will go first. I looked at a lot of artists, but, uh, this was the debut, the most iconic debut single to me. of 1982 this song was released in the united states it had been out in australia for a year at this point uh but not until may of 82 did they decide to release it in the united states of america before i even get started we need to talk about our overlap we forgot to do that for the billionth episode in a row i almost said it but i didn't want another interruption scolding well yeah you don't want to do that um I think the over-under is one and a half. I'm taking the under. I think it's one. Oh, no kidding. You you have the advantage of knowing whether or not this is an overlap or not, but I'm going to say we only have one, and that's it. Uh, I'm going to say over just to keep things exciting. Please. Um, After all, we just need two overlaps to hit the over. So uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, yeah. You're going with two. All right. Let me ask you this song. Is this song on your perfect album side in this category? 
it is not on my perfect top side. See, I had to ask if it was in this category because it's possible it could have been somewhere else. Yeah, uh, not, in my, not in my perfect top side. Again, uh, recorded in 1981, released in 1981 in Australia uh, off the debut album Business as Usual, which is a great album, by the way. Uh, it hit number two on the Australian singles chart that year. Uh, they later released it in Canada, where it went all the way to number eight. So then they said, well, if it went to number eight in Canada, let's release it in the U.S. And boom, number one hit in the United Number. States. Uh, Men at Work went on to a, a pretty good career, but this is the song that got it started all here in the United States. Well, we just talked about uh, a p- potential future topic, and I won't give anything away, but I think one of the most notable pieces of this song, which makes it awesome, is other than the knock on the door snare drum. Yeah, yeah but is the very, very famous and well-known sax solo that starts the song, but also is right here. So that's awesome. Minute Work, great choice. Um, Down Under, and who could it be now? Obviously, their two biggest hits. But, they, um, they performed both of those songs on Saturday Night Live in October of 1982. This song becomes a, a number one hit for them. Down Under becomes a number one hit for them. And at that point, uh, they were off and running in the United States. Uh, vocalist Colin Hay, lead vocals here, wrote this song uh, living in an apartment in, in St. Kilda, Victoria, where he said he lived next door to a bunch of drug dealers, and people would often confuse his apartment for the drug dealer's apartment. So he would get knocks, the door, knocks on the door at all hours, which was the inspiration for Who Can It Be Now? Uh, and a lot of the lyrics are based on people showing up to his house for drugs. So I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. The album itself, Business as Usual, stayed at number one in the U.S. for a record 15 weeks in a row, which is the longest any album had ever been at number one. Uh, It was knocked off uh, a little later by a a, a pretty big album that came out later in 1982. Uh, That famous saxophone part that you mentioned, uh, it was originally supposed to be in the middle of the song, but kind of the last minute they changed it. And I uh, said it made, made it the opening riff, and it's, uh, I'd say, one of the more famous opening saxophone riffs of all time. And I think, I think that right there could be the upcoming topic. That, 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 I, I don't want to give anything away, but I love how you kind of teased my, me and the audience about what might have knocked it off for the number one spot in Terrasante. I think it will, it will excite and thrill everybody. That didn't uh, go unnoticed. Yeah, October of 1982, they go on tour with Fleetwood Mac. They've got the number one album, number one single. They're on tour with Fleetwood Mac. Life is good for Minute Work. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, the 2003 version by Colin Hay, the acoustic version of this song, fantastic. Oh, that is awesome, by the way. Um, We talked about two what I consider very iconic moments of this song. Yes, the snare drum knock on the door. Yep. But the and then we talked about the sax. But there's something else that I just picked up, and you're doing a a screen share of the actual video of this song. What I remember about this video more than anything else is the when Colin Hay is uh, in this uh, chorus, and the camera is right up on his face, and his eyes are going back and forth. Yeah, I don't know how he does that with his eyes, and maybe. You know, not don't sound insensitive, but one eye is looking right at you, and the other eye is looking to the left. And He's it's got a amazing. medical condition I, that he does not care to talk about in public, and how dare you? And I how just announced you? it to yeah. the world, and no, we've I'm got kidding. a big Australian following, so that's probably going to get us kicked out of there. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to all of our friends down under. Uh, Minute work had to make uh, my perfect album side for debut single. What made yours? 
And how in the world was it not Minute Work? We're talking debut single here. It 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 could have been. It it certainly could have been. Uh, don't get me wrong. I went with this one. Certainly one of the most recognizable voices uh, that's still cranking out music today, Stone Cold. That's Michael McDonald of the Doobie Brothers. And this is his debut solo hit, I Keep Forgetting, Every Time You're Near. Came out in August of 1982. We've talked about this song on the Perfect Outside podcast before. Um, but here we go. The Doobie Brothers, he breaks out. I mean, one. I think he's got one of the better voices around, to be honest with you. And it's unmistakable. The record went to number six. The single, okay, went to number four, Stone Cold. So not quite the number one hit that you threw out there. Yes. Um, and it worked. But one of the reasons I really like this song, we've talked about this before, is it's got massive collaboration. Uh, we're talking um, about Edgar Winter, Kenny Loggins, Christopher Cross, and of course... Uh, friend of the program, Steve Lukather. There it is, is the again. Guitarist. There it is again. So we love that collaboration. We love to try and find those nuggets behind the curtain of some of this great music. But I keep forgetting McDon- Michael McDonald off the album, if that's what it takes. Um, still going strong now. He's still putting out records, still touring. Really took a little bit of a pivot when he took that Motown focus a little bit. He started putting out those records of covering Motown music. Um, but he still puts the Doobie Brothers in his regular set list along with some of his massive solo hits. Um, I Keep Forgetting makes my perfect album side Stone Cold for the debut category. This is a debut record for him as a soloist. It's also the debut single. So we call that the double debut. The double Stone debut. Uh, back your microphone up a little bit, if you don't mind, first of all. Number two. I got two points about this song. Number one. I listened to it this week as it was an honorable mention for me as a debut. Yeah. I don't think, somehow I didn't realize that Regulate by Warren G. When the songs were playing, I was like, oh my God, it's not even a sample. It's just this song. It's, it is uh, Regulate by Warren G, the opening, uh, the opening music. Oh, which I love. And that was actually going to be the next thing I mentioned was don't, you know, you may have heard this before and you may have heard the version that was not 1982. I think that was 1993. I think so. With Warren yeah. G came out with Regulate, and which was a huge, massive hit. But that was basically, as you said, it's not really a sample as much as it is the whole pie. He's just rapping over this song. It's phenomenal. Uh, yeah. And the other thing is uh, the scene from the 40 year old virgin where uh, Paul Rudd's character cannot listen to another moment of uh, of this. <laughs> that DVD they're playing at the, uh, the audio video store. Uh, the Michael. One McDonald of the best parts about concerts. that yeah. about that movie is Paul Rudd's character. But yes, hysterical. Uh, yeah, I think that's. I mean, hey, breaking out from the Doobie Brothers and going solo. Uh, phenomenal career came after that. Good choice. And a, hey, a little bit of a gray area. Now we talked about this back and forth a little bit. This wasn't a debut from an artist that no one had ever heard of. 
it was a debut when he decided to go solo. And this has been on uh, Perfect Album Side podcast before when we did uh, artists that left a band and started a solo career. So this was uh, the first uh, the first taste of um, Michael McDonald when we put that on there for that particular episode of, of uh, Perfect Album Side. But Michael McDonald today, we're here to talk about 1982 Stone Cold makes my Perfect Album Side. Well... I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned uh, artists that went from a band to solo and debuts. My other honorable mention outside of Michael McDonald was uh, Don Henley. Don Henley's first record came out in 1982, uh, Dirty Laundry. Dirty Laundry, I, I almost consider that song. And here's the interesting thing about Dirty Laundry. On guitar, Joe Walsh. On bass, Timothy B. Schmidt. And on the guitar solo, Steve freaking Lukather. <laughs> Luthaker. Lukather. Well, and okay. And, He's on and everything. He is on everything. And he had a very busy year. Did you, are you telling me that Dirty Laundry came out in this, this yes. year or was it? Okay. Oh, Dirty I can't Laundry stand also, still. That was his record. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and on guitar, Steve Lukather. On bass, well, Timothy B. Schmidt. We've also talked about Lukather. In the sense that he was on another big album, big album from 1982. I'm not going to say it uh, because I don't want to spoil anything, but he is on a song that was released on Valentine's Day, 1983. So he had a pretty big run from 82, 83, not to mention his Toto work. Incredible. Steve he, he owned the 80s and much of the 90s on guitar. The second category uh, is going to be best song from a movie soundtrack. You will go first on this one. Commence now. Oh, I am going to get to go first. This is very exciting. I don't see how this will not be on your perfect album side. I really don't see how that's possible in the movie category. Here we go. I don't recognize that song. I mean, I know I say it often, but if you don't know this song, please send me your home address and I will come over to your house and beat you over the head with a tack hammer. There it is again. This is, I mean, do I even need to say it? This you is do. I, I Have the Tiger by Survivor, released on May 31st, 1982, one day after the movie that is that made it so famous hit the theaters. That is Rocky Three. I mean, who who doesn't know this song and know the movie franchise that it's a part of? Now, here's something, Stone Cold. I'm listening. I thought all along Eye of the Tiger had been with Rocky from the start. I mean, and I'm only talking the first four movies. Anything after that, please. Yeah. But I thought it was part of Rocky One, Two, Three, and Four. I did not know until we did this particular episode of the Perfect Outside Podcast that it was Rocky Three. 
where it made its debut. Yeah, of course, there's the famous scene where Apollo Creed takes him back to the gym to look at the eyes of the fighters who had not made it yet. And he says, look at them. They got the eye of the tiger. You got to get yeah, the eye no, of the tiger. Totally... That's the whole theme of the movie. Have you even seen the Rocky movies? <laughs> Have you even seen Star Wars? <laughs> um, I know three really well, and then, of course, four is the greatest movie ever. But... Um, couple quick nuggets about this tune it hit number one for six six consecutive weeks it ran in the top 10 for a long time and is tied with another one bites the dust by queen at the aforementioned queen and physical olivia newton john r.i.p for the longest top 10 run for the decade for a song that hit number one can you repeat that can you repeat that yeah yeah there's a lot to unpack here yeah it ran in the top 10 for a while Okay, and it is tied. Okay, Eye of the Tiger is tied with Another One Bites the Dust and Let's Get Physical for longest top 10 run for the entire decade for a song that hit number one. So, in other words, it was in the top 10 longer than any other song of the 1980s that hit number one. Now, another song had the overall longest run in the top 10, but it did not hit number one. And I will just leave it at that for now. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing controversy. This song is a Grammy winner, Stone Cold. All right, Dave Bickler, lead singer of Survivor, also super famous for Real Men of Genius. Thank you, Bud Light. Beautiful. Now, 1982, massive movie hit, Rocky Three. I love this movie. I love the story. I love the villain. What a great villain, Clubber Lang in Rocky Three. Are you kidding me? Don't forget Thunderlips. Don't How could you forget Thunderlips? Thunder I haven't forgotten. Oh, God. Hulk Hogan, man. Uh, you, think, you think this little Hulkster has forgotten about Thunderlips? Uh, 1982, massive hit, Rocky III. Uh, second highest grossing movie of the original four at $270 million, which back then was a kind of a big deal. Rocky That's... IV hit $300 million, No big DZ. But this movie... Um, let me cut this off before I give away any other future... Perfect album side intelligence. Um, but this particular movie, Stone Cold, it is all about Eye of the Tiger. It's a line in the movie, Eye of the Tiger Rock. You know, music from Rocky Three and Rocky Four is amazing. Rocky Four had that no easy way out, which is awesome, but it's by I Tepper. Love that song. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, I thought I actually thought that was Survivor until not long ago. But Hearts on Fire, another great tune from the Rocky uh franchise. Sung by John Cofferty of yes. Beaver Brown Band fame. The Beaver so Brown Band, yeah. I don't see how I, the Tiger, can't make you the movie franchise. I haven't given you a chance to talk because I'm really expecting this song to be on your perfect downside. And let, I mean, of course, if you want me to continue doing this podcast, it'll be on your perfect downside. But the most famous song, bold statement of the day, most famous song from a movie of my lifetime, I, the Tiger. That song is not on my perfect album side. Wyndham is shaking his head in disgust and removing his headphones and removing himself from the building. I, I get it. I get it. It, it got, obviously it was uh, the first runner up for me. And you're wondering the, the look of bewilderment and amazement on your face. And you're like, what song could he have possibly picked? I know. I'm like, honestly, just stop talking and, and play your song because if you will I've let me share, no, if you will let me take control, I, I will. I'm so angry. Myself. I may, I may not stop sharing. All right, I will play the reason that I, the Tiger, did not make mine. Here it goes. Okay. 
Where we belong, Joe Cocker, Jennifer Warns from an Officer and a Gentleman soundtrack. I realize it's not Eye of the Tiger. I get that. It's not Rocky. But I do think it's one of the more famous scenes in all of movie history at the end of this movie when Richard Gere picks her up and walks off of the set, basically, to this song. She puts the hat on. You got the whole thing. It's one of the more famous scenes of all time, and this song is forever associated with that scene. And I love this song. I like I like just about anything Joe Cocker is involved with. Um, Jennifer Warren's, of course, is super famous from a collaboration duo movie soundtrack kind of thing. Um, this movie's actually pretty good. I've seen it's it. A great it's great movie. Yeah, it is a great movie. Um, that scene, you're right, is so famous where uh, Richard Gere picks up Deborah Winger, carries her out. She puts the hat on. The Simpsons have done it. I think Friends did it. So that's that's impact right there. You talk about Weird Al Yankovic calling you up and wanting to cover your song. If The Simpsons are doing yes. a parody of your movie, you're in. Uh July of 1982, uh, uh, in cadence with an officer and a gentleman, it comes out. Uh, Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warrens, she'd wanted to work with him for a long time. Finally got the opportunity on this song. It's a number one hit on Billboard Hot 100. Number one hit. Uh, The RIAA, a.k.a. the Reporting Industry Association of America, as you and I call it, put it as one of the songs of the century. Songs of the century. Okay. You go see if you can find uh, your little Eye of the Tiger on Songs of the Century. Oh, I don't like that. Grammy for Best Pop I don't pop like this new direction. They won the Grammy for Best Pop Performance by a Duo or a Group. They won the Academy Award for Best Song for Movie. They won the Golden Globe. They won all the damn awards, as we have said before. For all the damn awards. Oscar for the Best Original Song in 1983. Uh the Grammy for Best Pop Performance 1983. That's it. That's my argument. It won all the damn awards, and it's forever associated with that famous scene which we're seeing right now. I think this... I, boy, you, you only had a small window of opportunity to, to <laughs> up the eye of the tiger, and you may have done it. I'm, I know we're, we're not quite there in the episode agenda, but you may have done it. And this isn't a bad one. There's only a couple that could have done it, and maybe it was this. The director um, of Officer and a Gentleman, his name was Taylor Hackford, and he had a pretty cool run of number one hits associated with his movies. His next film was Against All Odds, where Phil Collins did Against All Odds, number one hit. He did White Nights after that, where uh, Separate Lives and Say You, Say Me were both on that, on that soundtrack, both number one hits, I believe. He also then directed La Bamba, and had a number one hit with a bomba. So Taylor Hackford, director of that movie, pretty good at picking out music uh, to fit the movies. That song made by Perfect Side. Uh, clearly, uh, Eye of the Tiger was my number one uh, honorable mention there. Yeah, that's a great choice. You can't argue with that. Um, all the hardware, the number one. You know, Eye of the Tiger got gypped out of all those awards, just for the record. And... <laughs> I'm planning on fi- writing a very strongly worded letter to the REA double RIAA, the Recording Industry Association yes. of America. Okay. They will be hearing from me. They, they will receive a strongly worded letter. I know you. 40 years later, <laughs> they're going to hear from me. Yes. 
Uh, all right. The next category is the music video, the most iconic, the most memorable music video. Uh, I will go first on this one. Let me share my song. Here we go. from 1982 this is really the first one that came to mind for me and i think it's just i forever associate duran duran with being on a sailboat and uh simon Bon being up on the front of that boat wearing his silk suit uh and these guys hanging out in the caribbean waters uh for me it was just an iconic video and one that i i, I said it before but i think duran duran took full advantage of the music video better than most artists did uh, and a lot of that started right here with Rio in the 1982 video. What do you think about it? Oh, what do I think about it? I think it's certainly one of the more iconic videos of the 80s. And, and don't forget, you know, MTV, you know this better than I do. MTV, actually, we're, we're almost 41 or almost 42 years to the day of when it released, when it came out. So, so when we talk about 1982, MTV came out only in 1981. So videos really... They were still a little bit more, uh, I don't know what you call it. People were more curious than anything to see how this was going to work. So this is not only an iconic video, it's really one of the ones that set the tone for MTV, right? It's not them playing the music. It's not an easy concert recording video. This actually took some some effort. This actually took some production and direction, not to mention uh, this is the video that I think a lot of people remember when it comes to Duran Duran this one right here especially the scene on the boat when, yeah. you, when uh, Simon Lamont is standing at the the, 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 the floor, bow yes. the bow that's what I was looking for I'm not I'm not much of a mariner not much <laughs> of a seaman um, this was the the seventh single by Duran Duran uh, it was a number one hit uh, the fourth and final single uh, from the band's uh, second studio album of the same name Rio uh, you know you talked about videos you know uh, MTV had been out for one year at this point, exactly one year, when this song yeah. was released in August of 1982. This is the first time people started to spend some money on the videos. I mean, they, they're down in the Caribbean, Antigua, and they filmed three or four videos down there. Uh, but this one, you know, they, they've rented this huge sailboat. They've spent money on their clothes. Like you said, it's colorful. Uh, they're doing all kinds of things that had not been done in videos before. You know, not into the special effects or anything that they got into in 83, 84, and 85. But this is the first time that people really, I think, spent some legitimate money on videos. And because of that, to me, it stands out. Uh, director Russell Mulcahy uh, filmed the music video. Uh, it features images of Anthony, these Anthony Price suits. Uh, this, they got this awesome yacht, which go back and watch the video sometime. Anyway, it's all filmed around the time of May of 1982 in Antigua uh, at English Harbor. Uh, just a really, really cool video. Uh, it had to make my most iconic video of 1982. Uh, that's all I got, my man. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I have recently seen Duran Duran in concert in the last couple months. 
and uh, they're awesome. They, of course, played this song. It's incredible, um, all their hits. So I love this. I think it's a great selection, and I'm going to tell you how much I love it here in just one moment. Uh, okay. Are you indicating this song might be on your perfect album side? I'd rather not answer that at this time. Fair enough. Uh, we... Just a moment ago, there was a pretty uh, pretty nice little sax solo. Again, another song featuring the saxophone from 1982. Uh, it was played by Andy Hamilton. Now, Andy Hamilton obviously plays this sax solo that we just talked about, but also played uh, with Wham! and George Michael on the Edge of Heaven and I'm Your Man. Uh, also big sax songs. Um, That's incredible. This was a big year. I think 1982 was a pretty big year for the saxophone. We talked about Who Can It Be Now? Uh, this song... Uh, I'm so excited by the Pointer Sisters has got a big sax solo. There's another song coming today on the Perfect Album side, which features a sax solo from 1982. Big sax year. Yeah, I heard you like sax. sax. Year. <laughs> All right. Uh, it, it, great. I love the selection, and I just I love everything about this video because Duran Duran had already had some success, right? They weren't an unknown band; they were a big time band by now. And you can see in this video, and you're playing it. I know our listeners can't see it, but um, you're playing it for me. And it looks like they're having a lot of fun making it. That's the that's what I think is the big deal. Uh, they did have a good time. All the one or two of them said they were not crazy about boats. They preferred to be on boats only when they were docked and if they had cocktails in hand. But uh, they got through it. And Who can again, argue with that? I think Simon LeBon is forever uh, in our etched in our memories wearing that silk suit on the front of that boat. Uh, 100%. Um, and I, I wonder if he can still wear it today. I'll uh, ask him. Are you passing the torch over? The torch is now yours for most iconic video of 1982. I am going to stay with Rio. Oh. The, the record. <laughs> Of course, when we go back to 1982, uh, Rio, I believe, was the third song released off this record, Rio. Uh, Save a Prayer was the second song. This was the first song released off that amazing record, uh, that second album by Duran Duran. This is, of course, Hungry Like the Wolfstone Cold. You know it. And I went with this song. I really, really thought it's my favorite part right here. Where it walks back in. Uh, I almost went Rio. I really, really almost went Rio. But since this was the first song released, also, this video, if you remember Stone Cold, it's got a little bit of a uh, Indiana Jones feel to it. Right? If you remember this, it's where he is running through the jungle trying to catch yes. up with a woman, and the band is catching, I say him, uh, Simon Lamont, and the rest of the band is trying to find him. But it's definitely got that. If you remember that scene in Cairo when uh, Indiana Jones is sitting at the table and he thinks Marion has been uh, blown up in the truck? Yeah. 
that scene is in this video, except Simon Laban is playing Indiana Jones. Um, so that's what got my attention on this song and on this choice for um, for video. Um, it's we talked about it already. MTV was only a year old, so some of the videos we talked about on the past really hadn't come out yet. Thriller wasn't out yet. Money for Nothing. These are breakthrough videos. The Money for Nothing was still three years away, so this category wasn't as cut and dry as I thought it was going to be, but I love this song. I love this video. Um, Song First, it's my favorite Duran Duran song, and maybe their most popular. We've covered Duran Duran a lot on the Perfect Album Side podcast, Stone Cold. Their MTV Unplugged performance is perhaps the most underrated episode of the MTV Unplugged uh, franchise, my opinion only. Old statement of the week. Definitely. Uh, But it comes from that second record, that sophomore record from Duran Duran. Hit number three on the Hot 100, hit gold status. Um, This was actually the third song they played in concert when I saw them. But going back to the video, yeah, it's got that Indiana Jones take. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was just a year out when this video came out. But um, really, really great video. Goes along with a really great song. And I love the effort they put into their video, Stone Cold. You said the same thing about Rio. But what they're doing in this video, it's not just putting a bunch of guys with instruments and then hitting record. They're actually, there's some cinematography in here. There's some staging. Things are going on in this video. And it's on site in Sri Lanka. It's pretty amazing. So I go with it, uh, keeping with the Duran Duran theme for video 1982 hungry like the wolf i think stone cold i think we would both agree then that that duran duran i mean those guys were really pioneers in the video department uh i don't totally agree 100 percent. and and you know they had some great big videos moving on the reflex uh is an amazing video as well love the reflex and then i thought they took it a step further with wild boys remember that one totally wild boys that 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 was a soundtrack right i don't think so no Oh, I'm thinking Lost Boys. You know yeah, what? We'll totally let that part movie. out later. <laughs> we won't. That's that'll be it. That's gonna <laughs> we, stay in. We won't. People need that's, to know your stupidity. Yes, that's that's half the enjoyment of this show, I think. Uh for the next topic, uh song that had to be sung by a female singer. And uh I believe you get to go first this time, my man. Oh man, what a treat for me. Um this is the I saw this song doing some research easily gonna make my perfect album side i like this song even today i can't wait to hear it you're about to please Great, 
great tune. This is Laura Branigan, 1982 Stone Cold. That's the theme of the day, June of 1982, when I turned eight years old. No big deal. <laughs> this is off the record, Branigan. Now, this song to me is the early 80s, period. This song is the early 80s. I love this song. Laura Branigan, certainly a gone too soon artist, Stone Cold, hashtag past topic alert from her debut record, Brannigan, but it was the second single released from that record. But let's be honest, I'm not joking around anymore. This is far and away the most successful song on that record and the most successful song she ever had. Now, she also came she out had with other another hits. song. She had other hits, right? She had other hits. So we're talking about, you know, I don't want to bleed into the one-hit wonder category that we're going to get to. She had self-control. Yes. Okay, that was a number four hit. Um, but what's interesting, Gloria and Self-Control were cover songs done by Italian artists. Okay, which I didn't know that till this week, but Umberto Tazzi was the original artist of Gloria. He sang, the song is exactly the same, except for one small difference. It's sung in Italian. Um, and then Self-Control, which we're not here to talk about, but that's another song that was a cover song. It was originally sung by Italian singer-songwriter Raf, R-A-F, that same year. So she was on to something. She knew where to found, find good music. But Gloria, uh, as I said, originally recorded by, recorded by Umberto Tazzi in 1979, didn't do anything in the States, but that original version, Stone Cold, identical to what Brannigan's doing here. Also, Gloria, covered by Fish in 2019 on their 2019 tour, uh, which was pretty cool. You talked about where we were when we hear songs. I wasn't jumping in with both feet on that. I can tell you this, though. I first heard this song at Sparkle Skating Rink. Yes. In, in Atlanta, back in, uh, I'll, I'll say 1982, 1983. But there was a girl I was sweet on. She loved this song. She kept telling me to go tell the DJ to play this song. And, of course, I did it without even considering the fact that she was doing it to keep me away from her. No big deal. And now you've been married for 21 years. Uh, 20, 22 years, please. But it's not her. But, no, it's not her. I didn't know my wife in 1983. Um, but no big deal. Let's get back to something more exciting in, instead of me and my sorrow and wallowing. Gloria debut, or excuse me, female off her debut record, second single from that debut record, so called Gloria by Laura Branigan. And think about how many glorias there are out there in rock music, Stone Cold. You too has one. Okay. Van Morrison, Van Morrison, of course. Van Morrison, of course. The Doors covered that. And now we have Laura Branigan. So it's incredible to think that Gloria uh, is probably one of the more famous music names in rock and roll. There I said it. But makes my perfect album side the Laura Branigan version. Let me tell you something about this song. It's on my perfect album side, as it also got the nod from me for, for most iconic female vocal performance of 1982. Uh, you know, it won all the awards. Yeah. Uh, pop, best pop vocal performance, female Grammy for 1982. It was in the top 40 for 22 weeks, uh, 36 weeks in the top 100. It went number one. It's just got every attribute you could think of or every award, every everything you could think of. That song achieved it all. One thing I will correct you on, although, yes, it was done by Uberto Tazzi originally, and the song sounds the exact same, although it's in Italian, the lyrics are very, very different. It's a love song about Gloria, 
And it's all about this man's infatuation and, and his love for Gloria. That's genius. When she redid it, they re, they changed all the lyrics to make it. Uh, it was no longer on the romantic tip because it was, you know, sung from girl to girl. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but she wanted it to be, she was singing to a person, a girl who was basically on the edge of losing her mind. Oh. So this little song was rewritten by Brannigan and, and one of the producers. The lyrics were all changed from the Italian version, except for the chorus, Gloria. The rest of it is totally different and about a woman on the edge of losing her mind. I thought you were going to, I, I don't know this. So you're telling me something I don't know. Um, but as we always say, only someone that put this on the perfect album yes. side would know this. Yes. I thought you were going to say she uh, he wrote it from the lover's perspective. She wrote it from a peer perspective, and she was jealous of all the attention she was getting. It's closer to that, but it, it's it's more about you threw, yeah. no. You threw me for a loop there. That's awesome. I wasn't expecting you to go the mental breakdown stuff. So it reached number one in Canada, number four in Ireland, number six in New Zealand and the UK, and number nine in South Africa. It was on the it was in the movie Flashdance, but not on the soundtrack. There's a little trivia for you. In the movie Flashdance, but not on the soundtrack. Uh yeah, Laura Brannigan. Uh may she rest I love in the peace. Song. It's a good song. Brannigan, she passed away in 2004. I believe it was a brain aneurysm. Yeah. Uh, she died at 52 years old. Laura Brannigan makes the perfect album side for most iconic song with a female singer from 1982. Outstanding. We're on to one hit wonders. I'm not sure who's going first on this you, one. You, uh, you go first on this one. All right. I will go first. Here we go. Let me see if I can pull this off. The Texies, Midnight Runners, one of my favorite songs of all time. And it's one of your favorite songs of all time. And by you, I mean everybody that's listening. Everyone loves this song. And somehow it's the only hit the Dexies Midnight Runners ever had in the United States. I think they had others, uh, maybe have had other hits across the seas. But here, this was it. And I was going to kind of talk about, about how I didn't know any of the words to this song. But right now, as I'm watching the video and the uh, the subtitles are on, I'm seeing the lyrics literally for the first time in my entire life. And uh, I, I kind of want to just stop talking and watch the lyrics because I have no idea what he's saying, but I do know that I love it. Come on, Eileen. Uh, June of 1982. Um, no. I'm seeing some of the video as, as you're showing it. And the first thing that comes to mind for me is not necessarily music related. It's the fact that I need to, I need to wear more denim overalls. Dirty clearly, denim overalls. These people are filthy. I clearly have missed the boat on one of the great fashion trends of England uh, in the early 1980s. Um, I'm with you. Some of these, some of these lyrics, I'm watching them go across the screen. I wouldn't have known that's what he was saying. Yeah, and I've, I've been never saying known. it totally wrong. I've been doing it phonetically, like when you sing along. Yeah, I was not saying correct words. Um, I love this song. 
Everybody loves this song. You've got strings. You've got hello, accordion. That's an instrument we don't talk about enough on the Perfect Outside Podcast Stone Cold. You've got banjo. Um, a guy playing a tin can. <laughs> Dexy's Midnight Runners from the album Turai A, uh, released June 25th, 1982. Uh, you know, for the longest time, that was a great trivia question. Who sings this song? And nobody knew the Dexy's Midnight Runners. Now I feel like the song has stood the test of time. Everybody loves this song. And for a long time, it was this one hit wonder. But now it's just kind of permanently ingrained in our consciousness, I believe. Uh, it won the British Best British Single at the 1983 Brit Awards. Uh, in 2015, the song was voted by British public as the nation's sixth favorite 1980s number one single. Uh, it was ranked number 18 on VH1's 100 Greatest Songs of the 80s, and it was Britain's best-selling single of 1982. Uh, phenomenal song. Here it goes. Oh. Uh, the video itself, like you said, uh, a lot of um, denim overalls without undershirts. What a great look that is, and I agree that we should we should bring that back. Uh, it did hit number one in the U.S. on the Billboard Hot 100s during the week of April of 1983, so almost a year later, uh, it, it goes on to number one, and it prevented Michael Jackson from having back-to-back number one hits uh, in the U.S. Billie Jean was the number one single the previous seven weeks, while Beat It was the number one song the ensuing three Take that, uh, Jacko. Yeah. Dexie's Midnight Freaking Runners. I love that song. It was absolutely going to be on my perfect album side for one hit wonders of 1982, narrowly beating out a different song. That is mine. What is yours? I love that song. And that's a great choice. And that's great music, too. And I, I know we say that a lot. But what I'm talking about is you take, you're taking all those different, basically what I consider folk instruments, accordion, banjo, um, strings, Violin, that they made that work, right? You know, in the 1980s, you weren't hearing a lot of those types of instruments. You were hearing synth, heavy guitar, electric drums. You weren't hearing that, and that's what makes it. Uh, what I think makes it really cool. So great selection there, Stone Cold. You know, what? you get a tip of you get a tip of the hat and uh, a little pull on the shoulder straps of my denim overalls. Well, uh, I I aim to please. Thank you for that. Uh, one more thing to point out. Uh, nice use of the saxophone on that song. No. Yeah. Was there? I believe so. We'll get back to that. Maybe that, our saxophone yeah, we'll episode. To, you know, I'm sax sells. To... <laughs> it does. Sax sells. I totally agree. Well, I'm going to stay in the continent. I'm going to stay in the country with another one-hit wonder from Jolly Old England. science indeed a little bit of a of a almost the exact opposite of a instrument roster than we just talked about with dexy's midnight runners but this is she blinded me with science thomas dolby 
off of the record The Golden Age of Wireless, which I think was a little bit prophetic back in wow. 1982. Uh, because I think today we're in the golden age of wireless. That was Isn't the name it? of this record, the golden age of wireless? Isn't that crazy? That is. You're going to probably hear a little bit more about how or, or what his, how he was wired, no pun intended. Um, but this came out 20, uh, 23 October, October 23, 1982. I went with this direction because number one, this song deserves it. But Thomas Dolby is fascinating. He is a fascinating character in music. He's a hit musician. He's an entrepreneur. He started a Silicon Valley company before it was popular that delivered ringtones to your cell phone. If you had an old Nokia cell phone, Nokia. You mean Nokia? What did you say? Nokia? What's happening? Nokia. Nokia cell phone. He created the company that would send the ringtones to that particular phone brand. Um, there's the, another ironic piece of his album name, right? I, I um, have a question. Yeah. Thomas Dolby. Any relation to Dolby? Like uh, Dolby Atmos, Dolby Vision, any of that stuff? No relation no. to that? Okay. Uh, uh, no. Okay. That's, I love where your head's at. Um, tenured professor at Johns Hopkins. Well, I mean, who, who hasn't done that? Well, yeah, I know. That's that's like first job out of high school. Um, session musician. Uh, in addition to being a star of his own right, he's a Grammy winner. He collaborated with Bob Weir, Jerry Garcia. Uh, by the way, yesterday, Jerry Garcia, 28th anniversary of his passing. Mm. Um, he played synthesizer on the song Waiting for a Girl Like You by Foreigner. And he was on stage with David Bowie at Live Aid. But really? His, isn't that crazy? I mean, this guy's done a lot of stuff. Um, but this song, Stone Cold, she bonded me with science. Song charted top five was more or less his last and maybe his only hit, which is why we're talking about this. But the, the song was the original theme song to Big Bang Theory. Uh, hashtag past topic alert to theme song. But this song is really, really good. Now, what I thought was interesting, and I really had high hopes here, Stone Cold, is Marcus Pike. Uh, he is responsible for the spoken word science that you keep hearing throughout this song. Uh, I was kind of hoping that I was going to uncover some incredible nugget about Marcus Pike uh, and he would end up being some super famous guy and this would be the biggest nugget ever in the history of the Perfect Outside Podcast. But alas, I was wrong. Um, It was this song that really people remember about Thomas Dolby. Mutt Lang, uh, formerly married to Shania Twain, sings back up on the song. You may know that. He was the producer of all the Uh, Def Leppard records. he, He was... Well, that was close. Um... He produced it, but he sang backup, and he was uh, obviously famous for a lot of different reasons. Um, but was he this was song on, that... on the Weird Science soundtrack? I don't think it, it. It might be when they're building. I didn't get a whole lot of that, um, and I certainly don't necessarily remember it. I remember it's alive. Um, that part when they're building you know, her, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Kelly LeBrock's character. Thank you. Um, but, um, I don't think it made the official soundtrack to be honest with you. Uh, right. Ongo Boingo is in there somewhere with the weird science song. Yeah, that we all know. Yeah. Um, but one hit wonder Thomas Dolby, she blinded me with science. Stone cold makes my perfect album side as, uh, his biggest hit, his only hit. Um, but, I think he's a renaissance man. I was really more excited about him learning about what he's done. He's not connected to the Dolby sound fortune. Uh, That is not him at all. It sounds like he was a pretty successful guy, though. Thomas Dolby. I did not know that about him. Thomas Dolby. And he's talking about 
blinding his girl with science, whereas we here on the Perfect Albumside podcast blind our listeners with musical thought. Yes. Yes. The final category on 1982 was the wild card. Anything goes is the rule here. Oh, you have the con, Mr. Pritchard. Ooh, I have the con. Yay. I am going to go. Any with song at all. Any song at all from the year 1982. 1982. The most iconic, the best, the biggest. This is the one. I think this cat, I think this qualifies in this is all it. of what you just said. Let's hear it. Jack and Diane Stone Cold, John Cougar, Mellencamp off the phenomenal record, American Fool. Now, this is July 24, 1982. And if we're talking about 1982, this song has to be an absolute given. Right. When we think of 80s anthems, this is right up there at the very top. Um, American Fool, huge record. Uh, big time musicians playing on this song and on this record. Uh, the legendary Kenny Aronoff, Aronoff, Kenny Aronoff, the drummer who I know. Phenomenal you know. drummer. Yeah. There's a um, whole story about, about this song and Kenny Aronoff on drums, which I'll tell later. Go ahead. Uh, Mick Ronson on guitar, who not only plays the famous guitar Diddy, if you will, on this song. But he also plays on The Man Who Sold the World with Bowie. He played uh, lead guitar on Amy by Pierre Prairie League. Wow. He plays lead on All the Young Dudes by Mott the Hopple. Uh, so some serious credibility in here, Stone Cold. So he's bringing in Mellencamp, who has a little bit of a reputation now, not only making great music, Stone Cold, but bringing in these artists, but wanting to do it his way. Play the music. Right, he wants to make the music his way. Um, and what's interesting about this, you know, this blue collar romance song, right? I keep using uh, that song based on two kids in the heartland, right? Coupled with raw guitar, big percussion. Go ahead. There it is. That big percussion we're talking about. Mick Ronson, who I keep mentioning, he came up with that part. Cougar said this song on one guitar was amazing, but it got much more difficult when the whole band tried to jump in. And Ronson just sat down and said, I got an idea. Why don't we do it this way? And Mellencamp was in, so it's a little bit off his regular path of making a great song. Um, this song has a, the most recognizable guitar intro, that absolutely unmistakable Stone Cold power chord intro. But listen to that acoustic riff, right? And you've got big time acoustics. Big time power chords. You've got that really deep bass sound at the very beginning. Originally supposed to be a song about an interracial couple, Stone Cold, but that changed right at recording time. Spent four weeks at number one. Cougar's absolutely, unmistakably most successful single. And the, the, the song itself was produced, the whole record rather, was produced by Don Gaiman, G-E-H-M-A-N, who also worked with a few other artists who made a name for themselves. Including the Blowfish? The Blowfish? I'm sorry, the, the Brofish? Isn't that what we are? 
No. A blowfish. I got to start doing better speech exercises because I like how you hold me accountable. Well, uh, I'm not successful. He also worked with R.E.M. on Life's Rich Pageant. It's my favorite R.E.M. record. No big deal. Uh, R.E.M. actually recorded that record in Bloomington at Camp Studio. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Which I thought thought that was kind of interesting. Um, So, John Cougar Mellencamp, his most famous song, Jack and Diane, makes my perfect album side in the wild card spot, Stone Cold. And what say you? I mean, rightfully so. Uh, it, it, all cards on the table. It did not make my perfect album side. It is my number one runner up for the wild card spot. Uh, it was between Jack and Diane and, and, and a song I'll play here momentarily. Uh, you, you mentioned Kenny Arnoff on drums. You know, th- there was a time in the studio when they were recording that infamous drum you know, breakdown uh, and fill, and he couldn't get it right. And they kept doing it over and over and over again. And he was afraid he was going to get fired, uh, you know, from, from the studio. It was a, it was a huge production, but ended up being just uh, a phenomenal drum part. I mean, one of the most recognizable drum fills of all time. Yep. Uh, one of the greatest songs of all time, uh, great artist, you know, and he's my neighbor. We've talked about that before. I was I just can't over believe I, that. I was over at his house a few days ago. Now he, he wasn't there and he didn't know I was there, <laughs> but I, I, I saw it just a few days ago. Uh, now, let me ask you this real quick. Cause you're, shoot. you're a much more of a music historian than me. And we talked about dates in the air tonight by Phil Collins. Yes. That was around 81, 82. It was 1981 was in the air tonight. We talked about that. And I think that if I remember correctly, the story about the Kenny Arnoff piece and this song is they said, I want you to do something like that. Yeah. And uh, went awesome. back to, to in the air tonight. So yeah, th- those two big drum fills from the early eighties. Uh, th- th- there's a reason they sound like each other. That's awesome. Well, I've stopped sharing. I'm going to let you get into it now. I am so curious as to how and where you went. I think you'll understand in just a moment. Ooh. What song made, to me, the most iconic song from 1982? I had to. By Toto, perhaps the most talked about song in the history of the Perfect Album side. It's probably down to this one and Layla as the most awarded song on the Perfect Album side podcast. Uh, to me, it was between this song and Jack and Diane. And because of all of the Perfect Album side previous nominations and previous awards, given to this song by the perfect album side it had to make mine again i i think it's one of the greatest songs of all time and i think it has been rewarded by the perfect album side as such had to make my perfect album side you were shaking your head and laughing when this song came on why is that well because you kind of teased this about uh, uh we, we teased it earlier i talked about steve luther earlier being a part of michael mcdonald's song uh i keep forgetting and here we are. You brought it back, Steve Lukather, but with Africa, with uh, with Toto, with their biggest hit, Africa. Um, I'm just shaking my head. I, and honestly, 
this could have been a video competitor. Yeah, it really could have been. Uh, the video itself is, is pretty cool and it's unique. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Steve Lukather thing. We'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, on acoustic guitar and backing vocals, Timothy B. Schmidt. Again, of, those two names course. show up on almost every song in the 80s. Here's something else interesting. There's a guy named uh, David Paik. Uh, who does uh, backing vocals and synthesizer and piano. He's on about every song from the 80s, including some of the ones we've talked about today. Uh, Steve Porcaro on synthesizers, Jeff Porcaro on drums, and Joe Porcaro on percussion. These guys, just like Lukather and just like Timothy B. Schmidt, are on everything, including some of the other songs we've already played today, which I can't remember right this second. But I'm just saying, the guys that came from Toto, and, and a few of these other bands just played on every possible record in the 80s. It's fascinating to me. So write down these names, kids. Steve Lukather, Timothy Schmidt, Joe Porcaro, Jeff Porcaro, Steve Porcaro, and David Paik played on every damn song in the 80s. And, but I this mean, one hashtag, is one of the best. Hashtag past topic alert. It's a family affair. Yeah, the Porcaro um, uh, family is getting it done. And Toto was, I know, I know there was a connection between Toto or at least some of the guys in Toto and Steely Dan. Yeah. Um, also connected to uh, like Boss Gags, some of those early uh, late or late seventies progressive rock bands, but that's absolutely insane. And I, I don't know before you reminded me, or maybe even told me the first time, um, I don't. I didn't know that the Baccaro family was so prominent in Toto. Like I, I, do, I, mean, I knew Steve Baccaro. Um, he was one of the main guys, but I didn't know the, the other two were in there. Uh, or yeah, just forgot. So, so the Baccaros and David Paik. I mean, all members of Toto, obviously. But it, my point is, Toto should get a lot more credit. The musicians in this band played on everything, and Steve yeah. Lukather being the, the pinnacle of that. Um, for me, Africa is great for so many reasons, uh, most of which we've already talked about. The, bar, the, the harmonies, the percussion, the melody, the counter melody, all of it is phenomenal. And it, I think we've proven time and time again, this is one of the best songs ever. It, it absolutely is one of the best songs ever. Um, it's, the, I think it's the second song, or it's, I don't know if it was the first one, I think Rosanna. Um, was one of the first songs, if not the first song released from this record. Um, that's amazing. I love this song. I love this band. You're right. They don't get enough credit. Um, you know, don't forget, Toto also had had those two hits, Rosanna, Africa, but they also had Hold the Line. That oh. was another big hit. That was a top five song for them, which has got an amazing drum fill in it, speaking of. Beautiful. Um, I love this band, and I love, I love that selection. I feel like I'm getting pretty... I'm getting my clock cleaned on... Uh, now we're going to line these up at the end of the episode. You've got some really big ones, and uh, I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. But, boy, you've really put a good foot forward today, Stone Cold. A couple of things I wanted to point out, songs that did not get a mention today. Uh, the one-hit wonder. Neither one of us chose Mickey by Tony Basil, which I, I, I'm sure it came across your radar, but, I mean, that that is often credited as being the biggest Number one hit wonder of all time, but we both went a different direction. I went with Dexy's Midnight Runners. You went with Thomas Dolby and Blinded Me with Science. Uh, I was surprised that Tony Basil Basil did not get uh, a nod today. Um, as far as some honorable mentions, I had the Motels with Only the Lonely. 
uh, yep. as a possible female song. Uh, Ebony and Ivory, I, I gave consideration on Wild Card as well as Jack and Diane. Uh, any, and then obviously Eye of the Tiger. Any any songs pop out at you that that didn't get talked about today that should have? Uh, Ebony and Ivory was definitely one. Um, Physical was another one that I kind of toyed with, but some of these that I thought were in the bag weren't actually released in 1982. Uh, One of the songs that I really thought was going to be a huge player on today's episode is Centerfold by the Jake Giles Band. Not not 1982. Nary a mention. 1981, right? 1981. It was not 1982. It was 1981. And um, although the album Thriller was released in 1982. Yep. Only one of the singles was, uh, and that's the, the, the girl is mine, I think, uh, which wasn't going to get talked about here today, but all of the other Michael Jackson songs, the other seven number one hits, Billy Jean beat it, thriller, et cetera, uh, all came out in 83. Yeah. And, um, that's a great point about thriller. Um, and Paul McCartney, you mentioned Ebony and Ivory already. He would have, he would have been on there twice. Um, but, Another song that I had as um, a 1980, uh, 1982 song was from uh, the Rolling Stones' Tattoo You, Hang Fire. I mm. I like that song. I didn't think it qualified just from a wow factor. Um, but a lot of the ones you said uh, were uh, certainly honorable mentions for me as well. Outstanding. Let's get into the Let's lab, into as you like to say. You know, we went with, uh, with the debut songs. You put up uh, Michael McDowell. Uh, Michael McDonald, excuse me, uh, and I McDowell's put up, restaurant. I put up uh, yes, the Golden McDowell's. Arches, uh, the Golden Arcs, Golden Arches, and I, <laughs> I went with uh, Minute Work. Who could it be now? Uh, thoughts. Um. Okay, I think it is. I mean, you had a number one hit. This is true. I don't know if it's possible for me to compete, compete and combat a number one hit, Stone Cold, I'm going to give you the nod. I, thank you. I would argue that because uh, he had already had fame in the Doobie Brothers, I, 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 which is why I chose uh, Men at Work. Uh, that was the fir- first thing we ever heard from Men at Work. So Men at Work, who could it be now, has made the perfect album sign. As far as movie songs are concerned, I mean, I almost went with Eye of the Tiger to me. I, the tiger is going to get the nod. Every person on earth would agree with you and no one would agree with me, even though I liked my selection. I don't know so. if that's true. Your song certainly racked up all the awards. Um, that's true. That's true. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I of the tiger has made the perfect album side. As far as video, we both went with Duran Duran. I chose Rio. You chose hungry. Like the wolf I'm, flip a coin. They're both fantastic. They're both fantastic. Uh, Honestly, for me, the reason I went with Hungary instead of Rio was the fact that Hungary was the first single released from that record. Um, I love Rio. Uh, I'll let you make the call on this one, and I'm going to go pleased either way. I'm going to go Rio on this one. Uh, I thought they were both great videos, very different than what we saw in the infancy of MTV. I go Rio. Okay. All right. And what's with all what's what's with the the third world type settings for these videos? We just saw the Africa video and it looked the exact same as as Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf. For, for the female song sung by a female. We both went with Gloria by Laura Branigan. Miss Branigan has made the perfect album side. I'm sure her estate will thank us for that. One hit wonder. It was Come on Eileen versus Thomas Dolby. Uh, she blinded me with science. 
Um, I, I would argue very heavily for Come On Eileen. Um, yeah, number one hit. Done. I mean, Wild card, Jack and Diane. I would give the nod to Jack and Diane over Africa's Toto, although I love Africa's Toto. But the Jack, and Diane, Jack and Diane is the biggest song of 1982, if not uh, the it, biggest, if not one of the biggest songs of the 1980s. I just love in that one and Jack and Diane. And I thank you. I agree with that. I, I, I think it's an anthem is how many, how, how recognizable the individual instruments are. And that's on the power chord, the acoustic, the drum fill. I'm going with it. Awesome. The perfect album side of 1982 for a debut track. Who can it be now by minute work for song from a movie soundtrack. Eye of the tiger by survivor from Rocky three. For the best music video, we went with Rio by Duran Duran, but it was a toss-up between that and Hungry Like the Wolf. Uh, best song with a female lead singer, Gloria, by Laura Branigan. May she rest in peace. One Hit Wonder, the Dexies, Midnight Runners with Come On Eileen. And for our wild card spot, any song from 1982, Jack and Diane by John Cougar Mellencamp, a.k.a. John Mellencamp, a.k.a. My Neighbor. My Neighbor. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm, I'll throw that in there that. every time. Uh, that, like I said at the beginning, when we first said 1982, I wasn't that excited about it. But now, how can you not be? I, I think it's an excellent, excellent list. And I think it's an excellent, perfect album side, more importantly. But here's the thing. There's a thing? Again, there's a thing. We have a thing. Hootie and the Brofish? Hootie and the Brofish. Uh, Nokia. Nokia. Somebody is going to make a nice little library of all my misspeaks. But these are songs, I couldn't have told you this before we started, that, hey, look, this is, these songs are in 1982. I don't know if I could have told you half of them were 1982. So I love looking into the years and seeing, wow, this song is here. It's awesome. Makes this episode so great. Outstanding. All right. That's it, my man. We're done. We've done, we've done the Lord's work here. We have. And and with Jack and Diane and with Gloria, a lot of names today. Outstanding. We put Glorita on here. Does that count? Can I get to, do I get to say that? Typos are different than speakos. All right. Oh, actually, I wrote that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to point that out, but <laughs> uh, good for perfect albums, my man. All right. Awesome, Later, dude. See you, buddy. Bye. This has been the perfect album side. See you next time.